0: You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 4. My name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint. I'm so glad you decided to come today. I know many of us are still on vacation, and that is all right, but I'm glad you came Um, this morning I want to share a word that's been burning on my heart for quite some time. Um, as 2020 comes to an end, at the end of the year, um, we're able to look back and reflect. And uh, I know you know that just because we turn the calendar over to a new year, everything doesn't magically change. Um, but it is an opportunity to recalibrate, reprioritize, um, reset in some ways, and how we know what to reset and what to recalibrate is we need to take some time and to reflect. And um, this year has been an interesting year. I know I don't need to know that, I need to say that to you, you know, it's kind of been the ongoing joke of 2020's been the worst. Um, But it has been an interesting year. It's been a trying year. um, But it's been a revealing year. You know, we all experience testing, we all experience trials and difficulties in our life individually um, but this is, this is in my lifetime one of the the the, the times where we've all experienced a, a trial together, and uh, it's been a revealing revealing. That's what trials and, uh, and difficulties do; is they reveal what's real, what's really there. How do we respond? What do we do when crisis comes? Recently, I heard a, a story of a a world renowned hunter who um, recalled his. Encounter with a with a huge thousand pound grizzly bear, and uh, he'd had many encounters with them, but not any quite like this. And he he talked about how with his friends and his buddies they would all talk about what would they do if they came face to face with a grizzly bear where there was no way out. What would they do? And they all talked it up and said these are all the things that I would do. We would I would rise to the occasion and I would um, step up and I would do what was needed in that hour. And we can all of us, we hope that we would respond in certain ways in, in certain situations, but only when it happens do we really see. So he said one time they were up and they were hunting elk and they had harvested a an elk uh, uh, and left it overnight hanging in a tree and they were gonna come back next day and pack it up and, and take it out of the mountains. And so they came back the next day and they thought, you know what, before we pack up this elk, let's make a fire, let's eat some lunch. And so they began to do that and he said, as we're eating lunch, we're talking and joking around. He said, I saw my friends sitting across from me, and their faces turned from laughter to just the most terrified looks on their faces. And he said, I looked over, and there, inches from my face, was a grizzly bear. And he said, and like, he said, I- I've thought about this scenario time and time again. If this is, if I was in the situation, this is what would happen. This is what I would do. But he said, I just froze. I just froze. I did nothing. I just froze. I was so scared. I just froze. He said, um, "You know, possums. We talk about they talk about possums playing possum, like it's something they they they're trying to do. But in actuality, possums, when they when they fall over like that, they're actually just so scared. They're so terrified that they just their body just shuts down and they fall over." <laughs> He said that's essentially what happened to him in that moment. He was so overtaken by fear. He said his friend was sitting across from him. His friend had a gun right here and his hiking stick. His friend reached over and grabbed his hiking stick, <laughs> and he started to hit the bear over the face. And it's funny, but for some reason it worked, and the bear ran off. Um, But he said he left that that situation very discouraged and disappointed himself. Because when the crisis came, how he responded is not how he wanted to respond or how he would hope to respond. And for many of us, this year has been a, a situation like this where crisis has arose, and we've all experienced this great crisis together, and how we've responded or what was revealed in us, maybe it was discouraging. For some people I've I've talked with, um, what was revealed was a greater level of faith than they they thought was there, or they were stronger than they thought. But for many, and as a pastor on a weekly basis, I talk with people all the time who have fallen into, into great despair and great hopelessness. Because the things that they thought were concrete in their life turned out not to be. And as a church, in the Western church as a whole, there's been this great purification that has been happening. And none of us like purification, but it's a good thing. It burns away the things that are unimportant. The facades are lifted. And what, we're, what's really, what we really have is revealed. So I want to encourage you this morning. I'm, I'm going to speak to hopelessness. Um, because, like I said, I, I've, I've seen this um, be such a pervasive and um, concerning trend as, these, as people have fallen into this great hopelessness. I want you to know this morning, if you don't hear anything else that I say, one thing that, the, that I have become even more steadfast in this year is that Jesus, Jesus is the only answer Jesus is the only answer. He's the only answer. If you don't hear anything else I say today, just know that Jesus is the only answer. And that's not something we graduate and move on from. That's the foundation of our life, is that Jesus is the answer. Every solution, every new innovation, the answer you need will come from Jesus the enemy seeks to bring fear, chaos, and destruction. But Jesus, he wants to bring clarity, understanding, unity. And he has the answer that you need right now. He has it. Which is why he calls us to seek him. Seek first the kingdom. Seek him first above all things. He has the answer. When I mean, we think about this year, Think about your life personally. Think about the, the trials you've endured. Things about think about the things that you have faced. What has been revealed in you? I've been encouraged by our our, our church. I talk about we talk about the church as a whole, big sea. Then we talk about our our church here, this expression of the community of God. And I I want you to know we've been really encouraged this year as we've seen people step out in faith. Years of sowing seeds of faith and now seeing a harvest of those seeds. As we've contended for healing, we've said, God, would you come and would you heal bodies? And we've seen this year many, many, many people's bodies healed. And as we continue to seek it, we see it more frequently. We've seen people's lives transformed, changed. We've seen people restored. Uh, uh, we've seen people taken out of depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. We've seen God show himself faithful. But for many many places, in many places within the church, big C, we've seen lots of statements of wisdom, but not very many statements of faith. We've seen fear parading around as wisdom. We've seen... Seeds of faithlessness being sown, and I want you to know that we're going to reap a harvest for those seeds of faithlessness in the generations to come. That in, the, in the, the most crucial hour, how did the church respond? Because who we are and what we believe comes out in those moments. Do we really believe that God is our provider? Do we really believe that God is our protector? Do we really believe that God is our healer? But I believe that God is calling us into a greater level of faith. And faith comes against fear, which is fear is an enemy to your faith. But fear will steal your hope. The Bible defines faith as the substance of things hoped for. So there's a direct connection between faith and hope. And faith is the substance of things that are hoped for. The Bible says in Hebrews that hope is a steadfast anchor for your soul. It's all of God's promises, his thoughts, his dreams over your life. And we hang on to those things. They're not just empty. They're not empty words. They're not like a, man, I really wish those things would happen. That'd be really nice if that happened. But it's it's something concrete. We know this because faith is the substance of it. It's the meat of it. It's that which makes hope a reality is faith. And faith really can be boiled down to the reality of intimacy with God. It's not something that we just like try to muster up and just try to really believe harder. But faith comes through knowing. Faith comes through hearing the word of God. You know, in, uh, oftentimes in the world, uh, people accuse Christians of just blind faith. I can never believe Christianity. You just have blind faith. And for many times, um, Christians have been like, yes, I just had that blind faith. But that's not what this is requiring of us. It's not Nowhere in the scripture does it say, just have faith. You don't need anything. You don't need any evidence, any relationship, any proof. Just believe it. Just believe it. That's not what this this is asking us of us. It does ask us at times to trust without understanding. It does ask of us to believe at times without seeing. But nowhere does it say, just have a blind faith. But instead, all throughout Scripture, we see this invitation from God to come would you just come? Just come. Come and see. Come and taste and see. Come all who are weary, and I will give you rest. It's this invitation to come and know him as a personal God, as a, as a God in which you can have relationship with. And he's not this God, this far-off idea. He's not this being that's indifferent about you. He's not, this is not just a history book, but it's a true reality of knowing the everlasting God. Proverbs, it says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. I want you to know this morning that the problems and issues of your life will be overwhelming if you have no hope. You will be completely hopeless if you're not able to to hang on to the promises of God. That's why in Psalm 27, David says, I would have lost hope if, if I had not remembered the goodness of God in the land of the living. Amen. Well, let's close. I'm just kidding. Everyone's all depressed now. I set that up for you this this morning because I believe that God wants to break hopelessness off of us. He wants to break fear off of us. They are incompatible with the walk with, with those who are walking in relationship with God. Because the more that we know God, the more that we realize our need for Him and our dependence on Him. And I'm gonna I'm gonna share three simple truths this morning, and they're unapologetically simple. This walk with the Lord is not easy, but it is simple, which is why you could have scholars spend their whole life um, reading and studying. You could have little children understanding and believing the, the, the amazing things of God. It's It transcends any age, any background, any origin story, and it's simple. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter four. Let's pray. God, This morning, would you just show us in a greater measure, God, show us who you are. God, show us who you are. For those in this room who are just dealing with hopelessness, discouragement, despair, the the lie has been spoken spoken to them. This is how you will always be. This is how your life is always going to be. I pray that that would be broken off and they'd understand that you are the God of the impossible. That your goodness cannot be exaggerated in any way. So, Lord, I pray that you just show us who you are in a greater measure this morning in Jesus' name. In Mark chapter 4, in verse 30, it'll be on the screen. Jesus, it says this. Again, Jesus says, "'What shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth, yet when planted it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants.' with such big branches that it, the birds can perch on it in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. Later that day, when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, he took, took him a they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with them. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke and said to him, "'Teacher, don't you even care if we drowned?' He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, "'Quiet, be still.' Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, "'Why are you so afraid?' Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? So, number one, how to break hopelessness in your life. We need to understand the power of a choice choices are important someone once told me it's the little, the little choices that you make every single day which that's how you live your life which seems so obvious but it's true there's incredible power in a choice the choices that we make often set the trajectory of uh, the direction that we're going to go and so when crisis hits when when trials come in your life when difficulty comes how do you respond Well, in verse 37, again, like I've said before, we're often really hard on the disciples because we think, because, you know, we're on the other side. They were in the moment. We're often thinking, man, if I was in that situation with Jesus, there's no way that I would respond like that. And yet we get the benefit of reading Scripture about them, and we also have Holy Spirit living in us, and oftentimes we still respond in the same way. So we give the disciples a break. In verse Uh, 37 it says a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped so this is not like a small it's not like a small this is a serious situation like the waves are getting so big that the boat is taking on water it's raining uh, they're they're afraid for their lives and what they do is what we all do is they run to jesus but they don't run into him out of faith. Instead, they come and they say, Teacher, don't you even care? Don't you even care that we drown? Have you found that true in your own life at times when difficulty arises? That you come and you say, God, what's going on? This is not the plan. What is going on? Don't you even care? Don't you even love me? Don't you even see that I'm suffering here? I want you to know this morning... The question of does God even care has been settled 2,000 years ago when Jesus gave his life for you, for for, for me. It has been settled. But we have a choice to make. And in in those crucial moments when crisis arises, what do we do? For many of us, we turn to destructive behaviors, destructive relationships. For some of us, we, we... We call all of our, something happens in our life, and we call all all of our friends. And we want them all to know the seriousness of the situation. And at the end, we say, hey, would you pray for me? And it's not necessarily out out of a place of faith that we actually want them to pray. Instead, it's more out of a place that we want them to justify and validate the seriousness of our situation. That it's okay, my situation is particularly unique, so it's okay for me to act in this way instead of from a place of faith. Every day we have choices that we we make. I want you to know that not making a choice, passivity is also a choice. And it's specifically ruinous in men. As you lead your families, passivity should be rejected at every turn. Recently, I had a young man ask me, Tony, how did you overcome a lot of the mental and emotional obstacles that you faced in your life? And I think he, he was hoping for like a silver bullet. He was, he was looking for just like, just do this one thing, and then everything will be okay. And I think for many of us, I mean, when I was that age, I was just kind of sitting around in my hands just waiting. If God wants to do something, he'll just do it, Right? I don't actually have to seek after it. I don't have to actually make maybe right decisions about certain things. I don't have to put myself in healthy situations. I'll just, if God wants to do it, he'll do it. And we're robbing ourselves. There's a responsibility that you and I have in our relationship with Jesus to do everything that we know to do and then God does the rest. But I told this young man about a season of my life about six years ago where God was really just Tearing down all of the unnecessary things in my life. He was burning off the chaff. And we all want, to, we all want that in our life, but when we get pruned, we're saying, hey, that hurts. <laughs> God, I don't like that. And I said, I made a decision that for a whole year... When I found myself in a situation where I knew that this was the right thing to do and this is what I wanted to do, that I knew if there was even a conflict, if there was even a battle going on in my mind, I wasn't going to engage in the battle, but instead I was just going to do the right thing. And I want you to know I didn't get it right every time, but it was this conscious choice that I made that I'm not going to have the battle anymore with myself. I'm not going to make excuses for myself anymore. I'm not going to justify it anymore. Instead, I'm just going to say, this is what I know I need to do. When I'm talking with my wife, I'm not going to say what I want to say that would feel good for a moment but would cut deep. When I want to have a bad attitude at work because everyone else is, I'm not going to have a bad attitude at work. And I began to make these decisions, and little by little, it was consistency and faithfulness over time. God began to renew my mind, renew my mind. Like we're, There's been times in my life where I've experienced God just, boom, setting me free from stuff. But I want you to know, even in those moments, it's not, that, that moment is not an end in itself. It's, a, it's the beginning of a new trajectory, a, something new. And many times we want God to just rescue us out of every situation, but it's in those difficult situations where we draw near to the Lord. And he likes that. Moving on. And the second thing is to break hopelessness in your life, you need to know God's promises over your life. Jesus was sleeping in this story. Isn't that interesting? There's like water coming into the boat, and Jesus is sleeping. But the thing is, is that Jesus, there was no turning with him. There was no confusion about who he was, who his father was. Complete confidence, complete confidence. He was not worried. And then after Jesus calms the storm, he turns to his disciples and he says, why are you so afraid? He said, do you still have no faith? He doesn't say, Did you, have an, you didn't have enough faith. He said, you had no faith. In the verses prior, he talks about this parable of the mustard seed. And this, this parable appears five times throughout the gospel, either in relation to faith or the kingdom. That it's not that you need this huge amount. It's not like you need to muster up this ability to just believe really hard and just have more faith. Just have more faith, and you'll get healed. Just have more faith. He said, you have no faith. Even a little would have yielded A harvest. That, that seed of faith goes into the ground and produces a harvest. And we will reap a harvest of faith in our lives. You might not see it this week, this day, but just like Kyle was sharing, we will see that faith, uh, the, the, the fruit of the faith in years to come. And like I said earlier, we will reap a harvest of faithlessness as well. We need to know God's promises over our life, what he's saying and what he's spoken over you. You know, my son, he's two and a half years old now, and uh, it's such a, a really fun time. He's just learning to talk really well. and uh, But when I come home from work, he, he says, he comes home, he goes, Dad's home. I come home, and he says, Dad's home. And he's so excited, and he runs to me, and I say, hey, son. And lately, he's been saying, you call me son. You call me son. I go, that's right, buddy. You're my son. He goes, no, not buddy, son. I your son. I go, that's right, you're my son. I love you, son. He goes, I love you, dad. And so I'm just soaking up every month. I know it's not always going to be like this. I know that one day he'll probably be too cool for school to to tell me he loves me for a while. But something beautiful about being called son is not there, being called daughter. Such an assurity that comes in knowing that you are taken care of, that you are protected. You know, my boy, he's two and a half. He has a very limited understanding about what it even is to be a son. He eats meals, and he doesn't know where the food comes from. He eats it some of the time. You know, he has heat. There's heat in the house. He doesn't understand even that there's a thermostat on the wall that controls that. It's just that it's warm. There's all these things in his life that are, That are there that he doesn't understand, but he does recognize this correlation between him being my son and I being his father. And much of our relationship together will be discovering what that means in new ways in different seasons of our life. He'll understand me as a father of, of grace in times in his life when he fails. You'll see me as a father of strength, hopefully, when crisis comes and everyone else is wondering what to do. And I want you to know that much of our existence on this planet, as, we, we, as we're here, will come from, we'll be discovering what it is to be a son, what it is to be a daughter with the Lord. And in new seasons of our life, He reveals different aspects of who He is. And we get a new understanding, a deeper understanding of what it is to be a son, what it is to be a daughter. And that's just one of the many precious promises, 2 Peter says, that he has spoken over us. Do you know, he also promises to strengthen you, he promises to uphold you, he promises to keep you in perfect peace to go before you and to be with you and to never leave you or forsake you. He promises to teach you and counsel and instruct you. He promises to give you rest, to fight for you, to give you perseverance. He promises to forgive you, to be gracious towards you, that no weapon formed against you will prosper. He promises to heal and restore and redeem and on and on and on and on and on it goes. But we will, be with, we will be utterly hopeless if we don't know the promises of God over our lives. Listen, my son, I, I, I take it very seriously as his father that I can be the best dad that I could possibly be. But I want you to know this might come as a surprise to many of you, but I'm not perfect. Sorry, that was a joke. Okay, Many of you are like, wow, he really thinks he's, we thought he was perfect. No, I'm not perfect. But you know what? We have a perfect heavenly father. He is perfect in every way. There's no lack with him. There's no lack with him. There's no confusion in him. There's no He's not indifferent about you. There's no passivity in him. He is perfect in every single way. And so we need to know what he's spoken over us and what he's speaking over us now. The last thing is this, is we need to ask God to show himself to us. What I love about this story is the disciples are afraid of the storm, and it's a serious storm. And Jesus uh, uh, addresses their fear, but then after Jesus calms the storm, in verse 41, it says that they were terrified. They weren't scared of the storm. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obeyed him. They had a, just a glimpse of the enormity of God of the greatness of God. And it produced reverence, it produced this, oh my goodness, why was I so afraid? This storm was nothing compared to the greatness of this God. You see, to control the weather, they automatically connected the correlation between Jesus and the Creator. So they recognized him again as the Lord. You know, God loves it when we ask him to show himself to us. Like I said earlier, he invites us in. He's constantly in. It. There's this open invitation to come. We're the ones that disqualify ourselves. We're the ones that keep him at a distance. If you're feeling far from him, he didn't move. But instead, he invites us in, and he, he loves to reveal himself to us. Uh, I was speaking at it this last fall, and there was this Friday night service, and um, I felt like the Lord was saying that he wanted to heal people with celiac disease, and so I gave the call. I said, if anybody has celiac disease, raise your hand. We want to pray for you, and that night, many people um, were healed of celiacs. but there was a young man there who he was one of many in his family who suffered from celiacs and he couldn't get close to it um, otherwise he'd have this horrible react, reaction and so when the call came he said oh that's nice but that's not anything for me that's not something that god would want to do for me again make you know our situation is is just very unique uniquely difficult and so the next night one of his close friends got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and, and his faith was just just set ablaze, something new. And he said, I need to go pray for my friend who's dealing with celiacs. And so he went to his friend. He said, hey, I know you didn't want prayer last night, but is it okay if I pray for you tonight? And his friend said, sure, what What will it hurt? And so his friend prayed for him. They didn't feel any, you know, goosebumpy feelings. You know, the heavens didn't open up. Um was a simple prayer of faith. Well, that night he went home and he he said, I'm just going to try it out. And it, for him, it was a big risk. I mean, he's just going to have days of suffering if if, it, if he eats gluten. And so he went home and he ate gluten and nothing happened. And that was September, and here we are at the end of December, and he's still completely healed uh, of celiac disease. Yeah, amen. Worship team, you can, you can come back. Worship team, wherever you are. Um... God loves to show us who he is. He really, really does. He has no need to prove himself to any one of us. But it's his kindness, it's his kindness that he loves to show us his nature and who he is, what he's all about, that he truly is as good as he says he is. In 2013, my wife and I, it had been a year that we had lived in Iowa against our will. And uh, we had moved here to plant and pioneer Kyle at the University of Iowa. Kyle is a college ministry. We have one at Iowa State. If you're a college student, we have Alex and Katie Rossinger, who are just amazing. Um, but we came to plant, and it was difficult. It was really, really difficult. And that f- whole first year is just kind of hanging around. And I remember that fall of 2013, we launched. We finally launched on campus. We started meeting and... The only place that they would give us was this uh, little chapel that was literally like the, as big as this space up here. It was tiny. It was really, really old. Um, when you would open the door in the winter, the door just went straight to outside. So if we were all worshiping or I was speaking a message and the door opened, the wind of the winter would all enter and we would all experience it together. It was great. It really helped um, communicate the word. Um, but it was encouraging because students are actually coming, and uh, you know, we you think and you plan, and then and then the time comes and students are coming. It's it's, it's, it's just it's exciting time, and um, so we had our fall retreat at the end of September, and there was a student from another campus ministry who, while we were there, he he was trying to swim across the lake and he actually drowned. I mean, some of us were there, um, some of you were there. Um, And it was just a horrific, I mean, it was a horrific event that occurred. Totally disrupted everything that was planned for that weekend. Um, It was just disorienting. We came back from that just kind of on our heels. And that, that Monday, I had gone to pick up this motorcycle that I had been stupidly working on. And I... Was trying to work on this and fix it up but I didn't really know very much and so I had found this guy on Craigslist to fix it which it's, it's not a good idea so just take it for me don't do that um, I'm sure there's nice people on Craigslist but that's just not a great thing so I paid him all this money to, to fix my motorcycle and uh, he did not and I was driving at home and all of a sudden this motorcycle just started <laughs> I was like, "Well, that's not good." So I pulled off into this little driveway of this company, and I'm sitting there googling, "What? I, what am I supposed to do here?" And this guy in the semi is pulling out of that that driveway. There's probably fifty feet between us. He looks out the, w- or he rolls down the window, and he says, "You better watch out. Someone's going to run you over." And I thought, "Well, I am so far out of the way of everything. Unless somebody comes flying off the highway, you know, I'm fine." So I was like, "Okay, thanks." And so I kept. Looking at what I'm supposed to do, next thing I know, that same guy who warned me, the back of that that trailer comes coming over the top of me on my motorcycle and just snaps my leg in half. And I remember laying on the ground, (laughs) in shock, the pain hadn't hit yet, thinking, "Oh no, (laughs) this is not the plan." Spent the next period of time in the hospital with several surgeries and. uh, the next couple months I just laying on the couch and um, I, at that time we had lived in a house that was about 30 miles outside of Iowa City so it was, just very, it was a beautiful house but it was very isolating and uh, my wife worked so I was just by myself all day I started doing what the disciples did and said God don't you even care about me This wasn't wasn't the plan. This isn't the plan. What's going on? This isn't the plan. So then I got all that out and I just listened. And the Lord began to take me through just all of the events leading up to this moment. He reminded me of a year prior when we had just moved here, when I was in a similar situation where I was alone in my apartment Lonely thinking, What why did I come here? <laughs> this was a mistake. I have friends back home. We had an amazing ministry that was exploding, and I'm by myself here. What is going on, the Lord? And God reminded me, He said, Why did you come? I said, I came because you wanted me to come. He said, Well, why else did you come? I said, Because there's there's students here that need to know. There's students here that need to hear the gospel. And he said, That's right. And that night, that was a Friday night, I went out downtown Iowa City and just saw the thousands of students that were giving their lives over to the things of this world, just like I was at that age. And the the Lord reminded me, this is why you're here. This is why you're here. He reminded me of the the continued faithfulness, the financial provision all along the way. And there I am laying on the couch thinking, God, what's going on? And God said, Tony, now I have you all to myself. And so I turned up. I was so tired of watching movies and Netflix by that time. I just shut it all off, and I got my guitar out, and I just, all day long, I would just spend worshiping and praying. And in that time of my life, in that season, God was revealing himself to me as a God of faithfulness. You know, there's so many aspects of who he is, and in certain seasons of our life, he reveals different aspects of who he is. And as we grow and as we walk with him, we get a more complete picture. He's a God of faithfulness and he doesn't forget and he doesn't change. But there's a choice to be made. We can't change the situations that happen in our life. Many times they're out of our control. But we control what we do and how we respond. We control how this affects our relationship with an almighty God. And like I said earlier, there's always this invitation of God says, just come, let me just taste and see. Just come, see that I'm good. And we step into that and God takes us up into his arms. Would you stand with me this morning? These are simple truths. But you have no no idea how many people I talk to on a regular basis. Say, Tell me the way, show me the way, show me what to do. And I, I say, just seek to know the Lord. The greatest purpose in your life. If you want to know the purpose for your life, I get asked this question all the time. One of the greatest purposes of your life is to know God. To know him more. Just seek him. Get on your face before him open up his word, see what he says. This morning, I believe that God wants to do something new in your heart. So if you bow your heads across this place. The only call I want to give today is that if you need to get your life right with the Lord, if you want to start a relationship with Jesus. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and I'm not going to Embarrass you, I'm not gonna call you out, I'm not gonna make you do anything weird. I just I wanna I wanna pray for you and I wanna know who I'm praying for. When I was 20 years old, I was a drug addict, addicted to cocaine, I was an alcoholic. I thought about ending my life almost every day. And in the parking lot of a diner, I gave my life to Jesus and I started over. And I'm not unique, he can do the same thing in you. So if you're here this morning and you just be honest with yourself, be honest with me and with the Lord, you need to get your life right with Jesus. Or maybe you've had a relationship with him in the past, but it's grown cold and stagnant, and you need to get your life right with God today. If that's you, would you just put a hand up? I want to pray for you. Yeah, thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate your honesty. You can put your hands down. If you just raised your hand, and even if you didn't, that's okay. I want you to pray this prayer with me. God's not looking for the perfect set of words set in the the perfect way. He's looking for your heart. He's looking for a surrender of your life, a turning over of control. So Lord, right now, that's what we do. We just, we give it all to you, Jesus. We surrender every part of who we are to you. We surrender our past our present, our future. We surrender our failures. We surrender our victories to you. We surrender our families and our relationships to you, Jesus. King Jesus, be the king of my life. Sit on the throne of my heart. Be the king of my universe. And right now, I just turn from anything that isn't pleasing to you. I stop pursuing the things of this world, and now I pursue you, Jesus. And I ask you to wash me in the blood of Jesus and fill me with your Holy Spirit today in Jesus' mighty name. Just Agree with me as I pray for you now, Lord. I pray in Jesus name any any person in this in this place that's feeling like they're in that place of hopelessness, despair, discouragement, maybe they're disappointed in themselves or disappointed in people in their lives, whatever it is. I pray right now you just pour in courage into their hearts, breathe encouragement into their lives in Jesus name. We thank you that we can come to you and ask. For things according to your will, and then you are f- freely give them, and you love it when we come and ask. So, Lord, we're just asking for these things. We're asking for peace. We're asking for strength, a greater resolve. We're asking for a, a faith that perseveres, that goes deep. In Jesus' name, burn away, God, anything that isn't any of the chaff, any of the superfluous things in our life. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that we would just set our hearts to know you just a little bit more today. Just seek to know you a little bit more today. And as we seek you first in your kingdom, God, you put everything else in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Last thing I want to do here before we close is um, if you're here, this morning, uh, like I've said, we've just seen God healing people. And uh, we want to just continue, especially as the year ends, we want to take a stand and say that this is what we're all about. Not that healing is more important than everything else, but it's one of the things that we believe that God has been revealing, that he is our Jehovah Rapha, God, our healer. And so if you have uh, you need healing in your body, would you just put your hand up? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to We're just going to pray for you. Awesome. You need healing in your body. Amen. Amen, let me pray. God, I pray right now for healing in this place in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. I pray all heart defects would be made right, right now in Jesus' mighty name. I pray for bad knees where cartilage and things have deteriorated. I pray in Jesus' name for a new knees right now in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. For those struggling with anxiety, depression, and they feel like they're, they're, their mind is just out of control, I pray just for clarity. I pray that you just help them to slow down their thoughts. In Jesus' name, I pray for a renewed mind right now in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray someone who, whose foot, who has pain in their foot, I pray in Jesus' name for healing in that foot. Right now, in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, incurable diseases in this place, autoimmune disorders, we pray in Jesus' name, healing. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.